Thank you for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue our way through the book of James. Good morning. What's up, guys? Happy Father's Day uh, to all of y'all. This is, uh, guys, we work hard all year. We serve all year, and this is our day. This is the day that we have worked for. Amen? Be careful. Whoever amen is going to have some, some issues with the wife when y'all get home today. But, <clears throat> man, uh, I just want to, I want to bless the worship team, too, before I start. I mean, you guys, gosh, are just so incredibly blessed by the team that you guys have here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. One of my best friends, Jacob Rager, uh, man, we got to conspire with Dad and Nick to let us lead uh, on the same day today, so that's a, a huge joy for me. And Austin, man, I was fired up wherever you are just listening to you worship uh, yeah, or watching you worship even on the drums, bro. So, um, man, just wanted to bless you guys before, before we start as well. Uh, so we are continuing into the book of James today. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 12 uh, through 18. And just to kind of set the context for you a little bit, we're talking about temptation today. Uh, so we're going to break out some of the graphic uh, language that James uses to describe and to paint this picture around temptation and sin and the consequences uh, that form around that. Uh, we are going to uh, talk about some, you know, potentially just touchy subjects and, and really uh, force ourselves, hopefully, to shine a light on ourselves and, and do some introspection in our own lives to be able to pull out what are those, what are those deep-rooted, fleshly desires uh, that we battle, that we struggle with, uh, and, and we'll put some action steps towards the end of how do we actually combat this? How do we actually go about uh, looking our temptation in the face, not being scared of it, not running from it, not uh, acting like we don't have it, and then just indulging in it, uh, but we're really going to break down just these couple verses, uh, and, and again, James will use some very uh, graphic illustrations and how he explains this, and so we want to, we just want to open up the word, and we want the text to speak uh, for, for what it is, and so if you will, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 12. Uh, it says here in verse, uh, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full, bro- uh, full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for another day just to be able to step in and to worship you. We thank you that we uh, get to spend time uh, just singing your praises uh, with Jacob and Teresa and the team. And now we thank you that we get to open up your word, uh, which speaks so loud, which convicts, it heals, it challenges us, and it invites us into new life with you. So I pray that your text and your word will speak very clear. I pray that you will help me to get out of the way uh, and so that you may speak freely through me uh, and just to move Holy Spirit in this room. We welcome you and we wait expectantly for what you're going to do. A couple, uh, couple months ago, 
Um, just a little, a little bit of a backstory. My wife and I, we are very, uh, very diligent in the way that we eat. Part of it is because we're on a ministry budget, so we don't get the liberties to, to eat a steak and, and something uh, elaborate every night. But the other side of it is uh, we love to exercise. We love to train. And in that, uh, we love kind of consistency. And so most meals that we eat as a family and that um, probably a blessing even for my little guy as he grows up is we got usually a chicken or turkey, a rice and a broccoli almost every night. We love simplicity. We keep it clean. We keep it simple. Uh, and that also said we typically don't have a pantry or a refrigerator stock full of food. So much so some of my high school boys uh, were over months back and uh, we'd got done Bible study and they were just kind of snooping around in my kitchen. They opened up the pantry and they're like, where is your food? And uh, I said, well, first off, it's none of your business where my food is. It's not in your stomach, which is the first big thing to notice, that uh, we get what we need. We, uh, we pay for what we're going to eat, uh, and that's just what we keep. One of these instances was at that time my wife was using the, uh, the Walmart kind of, you know, they, you, you put in what you want, and they shop for you and bring it out to the car, which is one of the most amazing things in the world, especially because it doesn't charge you extra. Uh, I became a fan of grocery shopping when Walmart decided to bless us with this opportunity. Uh, and so what Walmart would begin to do, though, we noticed is that my wife would shop again for minimally what we needed for two or three days, and it was always something very clean so that if we got the munchies, we weren't uh, tempted to go in and eat chips and snacks and things that weren't good for us. But one time, Walmart took it upon themselves uh, kind of as a little flirtatious gesture just to throw in this hazelnut Nutella spread for free, free of charge, God bless them, for something they just wanted to do uh, to grace us that day. And uh, so I remember I walked in to look for uh, a snack, and one of our go-tos is going to be some caramel rice cakes with just some natural peanut butter slapped on that thing, and that is one of the most delicious snacks for us. And I opened up the pantry this day, and uh, there stood in the pantry this Nutella spread, and I thought, oh my God, I know my wife did not pay for that, but praise God for Walmart. And, uh, I, but I opened it up, and I looked at it, and I thought, that's just not what I need, um, Brett, man, like we work hard for, for what we try to, to in vain look like probably at times. I thought, I'm not, I'm not eating that hazelnut spread. And so I grabbed my rice cakes and I turned back around. I got a couple steps and I, I kind of paused and I thought, gosh, man, that, that stuff sure does taste good, don't it? And I, and I took a step back and I turned back around. I was like, I'm not eating that hazelnut spread today on my rice cake. And I got a couple more steps towards the counter and I walked back over again and I opened up that pantry and I was like, gosh, man, but look at it. She's sitting right there. Like it just looks so good, right? And I opened up that pantry, and, and that internal struggle was you don't need to eat the hazelnut spread with your peanut butter and your rice cake today. And I remember walking off again, and, and gosh, man, I just I opened it back up, and I thought, screw it, man. Like, it can't be that bad for you, right? And <laughs> grab that hazelnut spread and walk to the counter and freaking slap that rice cake full of it. And if I'm honest, I probably just scooped a finger in there, too. And gosh, man, it was just so good. And I thought about that and I thought, man, how often do we do the exact same thing when it comes to our temptations of the flesh? And I, and I sat and I began to think about that story and think about that analogy. And I thought, how often when we are faced with the temptations and the desires of our flesh, does it feel like we see it and we think, man, that would be so good. Man, that would be so satisfying. Man, that, that lustful thought for pornography just seems like, ah, oh, man, that would just, it would satisfy my flesh. That, that, that temptation to want to, to wanna get drunk again and to run back to the corner store or the brewery seems like, God, but it just, it looks so good. 
the, the anger that seems like will satisfy our hearts if we would just blow up and, and explode because we feel justified and that seems like it would just satisfy our hearts. When we gossip about somebody, if we slander somebody, we think, man, it's just going to feel so good to stick it to them, to cheat or to lie, maybe even to steal. So often when we're faced with what the flesh will tell us, man, it's going to taste and feel and satisfy so good in your heart. And that struggle can be we, we try to walk away, right? As we, we feel like we're trying to walk away from that and say, no, it seems like that lasso is, is roped around our heart. And it just kind of tugs back at us to make us turn around one more time. And then we take a step back and we say, no, I'm not submitting to those temptations again. They're the same ones that come about day after day or week after week. And we say, we're not doing it again. And we'll take a step back. And before we know it, we just feel that tug one more time on our heart. And before long, if we're not careful, we allow this, this pull back at us. And the temptation is that it's not, it's not that bad. And so we walk back to the pantry and we open up that door and we think, it's just a little bit. How bad can it, can it really be for us? It's just, it's just this one more time. And before we know it, that one more time builds and it expands. And each time it creates this misery within our life. And the lie and the temptation and the desire of the flesh that entices us to, to fully want to satisfy our flesh is a lie-infested rope sometimes that feels like it's lassoed around your heart. And it's saying, no, 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 but come back. Just look at it one more time. Just open it up one more time until we are standing there fully indulged, fully, fully investing into whatever that temptation is. And so many of us will fall captive and slaves to our temptations because we're not strong enough to combat them on our own. We feel like sometimes the temptations and the desires of our flesh that so entangle us that it's impossible to be set free from. We feel as if we are almost forced to stay stuck in this stable misery because I don't know how to combat it on my own. Like I've, I feel like I've been faced with the same temptation over and over and over again. And only you know for you in your life, what are those temptations that just keep smoking you day after day? And we feel like I'm stuck, man. Like I, I, as much as I want to say no, every single time that I see that thing, it feels like it is impossible for me to actually walk away. And so we continue to endure. In it. We continue to try to say no, and it continues to just rope us back in, wearing us out over and over again. For the addict, each day it brings this feeling that is almost as strong, or if not stronger, than the day before. To the one who struggles with sexual immorality, the lie that Satan begins just to whisper is that it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Tons of people, tons of people struggle with it. Just keep it to yourself. You're not hurting anybody, right? Like, so what? You got some, some hatred in your heart and you just lay in bed at night unable to go to sleep because you're just bitter at somebody. It's okay. Keep that to yourself. It's okay. And Satan wants to lull us and, and allow us to be totally captive to these entanglements that bury our flesh and do not allow us to live in freedom with Jesus. 
And this again will lead to just a life of misery. And so for anyone, before we get going today, for anyone who feels like they are stuck in that place, for anyone who feels like they have been uh, trapped and, and imprisoned to your temptations and, and these desires of your flesh. Like I'm here to, to tell you today that there is full freedom that can be walked in this. There is complete healing. There is full restoration. There is mending of your heart that can be had. And there is a way that we can combat these temptations to where we can look at them in the face and obliterate them with the things of the Lord. And so the invitation is that we, again, like we recognize what they are, but knowing that there is a way to combat this. You are not stuck. You do not have to stay stuck in your misery and the desires of the flesh. And so we're going to open up God's word today, and we're going to break open the ways that we can combat this. But before we go much further, we need to recognize what are those temptations for me? So what are the things that for Tim and for Blake and for Addie, what are these, what are these things that, that when we see, we know that is the way that Satan immediately comes after and wants to tempt me? One of the temptations for me is that when I get scared or nervous, I'm immediately going to blame somebody else and, and immediately uh, just yell for somebody else as if it's somebody else's fault. A great example would be a couple weeks ago, uh, me and Cedar were riding in the Gator. And now mind you, he's almost two years old. So his uh, spatial awareness is limited, um, but we're riding in uh, the gator, and I put it in reverse, and I'm looking over, and I hit it in reverse, and before I look back over, he's laying in the floorboard of the gator. My reaction was, Cedar, what are you doing? And I sat there, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's two years old. He don't know what the heck's going on. But my reaction was, I'm going to blame the two-year-old. It's his fault he fell out. Right? Another example of that was, uh, and man, Grace will attest to this all day, but there was an instance to where uh, he had woken up from a nap, and uh, it was my turn to go get him up from his nap. So I walked up the stairs and opened up the door, and when I opened up the door, let me tell y'all, this smell that smoked me in the face was something that I have not smelled in landfills. And my first reaction was, Grace, did you not throw out a dirty diaper that you changed before? And from downstairs, she's like, I, I don't know, like maybe, I, but as soon as I smell, I was like, it's gotta be her fault. And uh, so I have this self-righteousness as I walk into the room and, and I flip on the light and standing in the crib, joyful, as excited and happy as could be, looking like Navajo war paint smeared across his face and cheek was some investigative work that my little man did on that diaper that seemed to be full for probably far too long. And I walked in, and my first reaction again, terrified, was, Grace, get upstairs! And in her mind, she's probably thinking, oh my God, he's like decapitated in the crib somehow. He has jumped out and is scaling from the window. And she comes running upstairs, and I mean, just in a panic. My first reaction was just to blame Right, and so there's a, a lighter version of, of temptation, uh, but for us, in, in all seriousness, what are those temptations for us in our flesh that keep us entangled? That Satan will continue to use to lie to you, to keep you trapped, and to keep you in misery. James, again, 1, 13 through 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full blown, gives birth to death. So James says, once we allow desire to conceive, it becomes sin. As soon as that tug from that rope back to your computer or your phone for pornography leads you to opening it, that is when sin is conceived. When that temptation for intoxication of alcohol or drugs is had and we partake in that act, that is when sin is conceived. There is a desire of the flesh that takes place. And being sinful in nature as we were born, no matter how beautiful and precious we think a child is at birth. My wife is, is less than a month away from our second boy being here. And no matter how beautiful that child is at birth, they're still born into a sinful nature. And so there's always going to be this fleshly desire that wants to entice us into sin. But the act, then when we step into that and say yes to our sinful and fleshly desires, that is when sin is conceived. When the opportunity to to steal or to cheat comes and we do it, that is when we conceive sin. As soon as the realization of getting in trouble comes or the realization that uh, our decisions may have poor consequences and we lie, the action conceives and produces the sin. And the temptation in and of itself is not sin. We know that temptation, that fleshly desire in and of itself is not sin. And we know this because scripture says that Jesus was tempted and yet he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So if Jesus can be tempted and yet was sinless, that must mean that, that our temptations are able to be conquered and combated and we are not required to act on those Temptations. Dad opened up in week one of James talking about uh, James is going to address almost some, some acts of immaturity from believers in the church. So he's going to go after a lot of things that can be uh, qualities of an immature believer, somebody of immaturity. And the idea is that temptation is not immature. Right, like we can be mature, deep believers of God, and being tempted does not make us immature in our faith. But when we continue to refuse to say no to those temptations, when we continue to say, I- I'm, just, I'm just not strong enough, so I'm just going to keep allowing myself to indulge in these temptations, that is immaturity in our faith. Right? And so as we are tempted, It is not a sign that we're an immature believer, but my lack of ability to say no and my lack of desire to combat these temptations is immature. And we've got to be able to recognize that. I know that there are some of us that struggle with things for years and years and years and decades. Some of it may be generationally passed down from a grandfather to a father to you to your son. So we recognize that temptations are serious and they can feel like a never letting up. Satan has got this grip on you and he is squeezing you and pressing you until you feel like you are going to explode until you finally walk in and say yes to that temptation. So we recognize the severity of how intense they can be. 
but we also have got to recognize that when we say yes to those temptations, it is a sign of immaturity of the body of Christ. Sin with no repentance brings condemnation and death. And the person with an unrepentant heart heeds judgment on themselves because God loves us too much to leave us stranded in the misery of our sin. No matter how much his grandparents may think that Cedar does not deserve a little spanking on that little butt of his at times, we still love him enough as his parents to say, we want to discipline you. We want to apply some discipline at times because we do not want you out of your sinful desire, even as a two-year-old, to allow the, the decisions of your flesh to expand until you are a young man. And it's the same picture as James when it's full grown as a little man's going to make these decisions of discipline disobedience, if there is not discipline and if there is not some uh, a paddling of the butt, if you will, at times, that disobedience, disrespect, I'm going to do what I'm going to do as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old, as a 40-year-old will continue to grow. And God does the same thing for us. He says, I don't want you to stay stuck in this. I don't want you to keep disobeying. I don't want you to keep allowing yourself to be just fully indulged into your flesh. So there's discipline. And when we heed that warning, when we shake our fist at God and we get angry and mad because of the discipline for our decisions, we are, are looking God in the face and saying, I know better than you do. If your two-year-old son were to look at you and say, you shouldn't spank me for that, I know better than you do. How crazy would that be for us? And yet we do that to God. And James will use some very uh, graphic language and imagery here. And he basically says that when temptation and desire is conceived, meaning when you have intercourse with the desires of your flesh, how is something conceived? Something is conceived through intercourse, right? So the, the picture that James paints here is that when you have intercourse with your temptation, when all you can think about, want to talk about, uh, your day is consumed with the thought of this thing and you get into bed together. Think about even, even with your spouse, the early days of your courting and dating before getting married, like it wasn't, you could not wait to get married just to hold hands and to cuddle. Like you were hungry to get into bed together. Amen? Just me? Okay, just me. That's cool. Just me. That's all right. So James has the same thing. He's like, when you get into bed with your desire, when all you can think about, when your day is consumed with, when all that, that your desires are, are full of this thing and you get into bed with it, when you allow your flesh to be consummated to your desire, what happens when there is... Uh, something is conceived through intercourse. There is a child, Lord willing, that is birthed from that. So when you are in bed with it, when you indulge in it, when your flesh is men together in your temptation, he says that the child that is born or, or what is conceived is sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings death. So the idea is like, imagine, uh, and again, like, this is so real for me. I mean, again, Grace is weeks away, three or four weeks away from having uh, another child. So you think about childbirth. Think about for you as a woman when you gave birth or as the husband watching your child be born. And I remember 
uh, Grace is, I mean, a warrior. She had that thing in a little pool in the back bedroom of a house, fully natural. And I, the misery that she went through, I thought I would be walking backwards in for an epidural if I was facing that same kind of pain. But I remember watching her like struggle and she's battling and she is in pain and she is fighting to give birth to this child. And we know that there is joy and excitement on the other end of this child being birthed out. And we are excited and expectant for the joy of our, of our first boy. And James says that, but when you uh, consummate and when you conceive with your desires, the child that is birthed is not full of joy. It is not full of rejoicing. It is full of pain and guilt bitterness and hatred and disappointment. That when we allow our flesh to conceive with our desires, this child does not bring joy. It brings pain and hardship. Some of you guys are probably thinking, amen, that child lives in my house and I know its name. And James says that the child of your life that is birth is not joyful. It is miserable and it's painful, and it's this dark cloud that will loom over your head day in and day night, day in and day out, and it will drag you down, and it is weighty, and there's no joy. And if that child continues to grow, and if it is not handled and redisciplined at a young age, that child will grow up to be death. It will bring discomfort in all the areas of your life. And when that child is full grown and it brings forth death, it is in essence giving Satan the keys of your life and saying, hey, you drive me around today. As that child gets its permit and as that child begins to drive, excuse me, in the sense of the spiritual life that we live, it is saying, hey, Satan, here, you take me for a ride today. You drive me around. I didn't rediscipline you when you were little. I didn't choose to combat you when you were a child. When these desires were infantile, I allowed them to grow and to compound and to get more intense and more graphic and more detrimental to those around. And we give Satan the keys and we say, hey, man, you drive. I'm just going to be a passenger today. And we sit there fully uncontrollable. He giving him complete freedom and reign to do what he wants. When we sin, we greatly hurt the heart of God. I was having a conversation with somebody, <coughs> excuse me, having a conversation with somebody the other day about a similar topic, talking about some temptation, talking about, you know, in, in leadership, some of the things that, that godly men have to combat even in Christian leadership and how do you handle those things and as we talked through this I was sitting out on my porch and and I just started crying multiple times like just crying because I thought gosh man God like I like I want our heart to break for the things that break your heart I want us to be distraught and, and to ache and to hurt and to be sad about the things that make your heart sad about us and, and if we can never look at these things in the face with honesty and think, God, man, like when I do this thing, like it hurts your heart, God. Like this breaks your heart and you, you, you almost mourn and weep because you're like, Benji, I don't want to see you keep doing that. 
Like, I didn't die for you so that you could continue to walk in this misery. Like, I don't want that for you. And I was sitting there and I was crying because I was like, God, man, like I want our heart to break for the things that break your heart. I want us to take sin so serious that when we act in it, that it would just break our hearts because we know that we're breaking the heart of God. We should be able to look at our brothers and sisters and say, like, my heart breaks for you because I don't want to see you stuck in that. And our hearts should break because it breaks God's heart. As followers of Jesus, we should hate sin and be sick of it. And if we're not, my gosh, we really need to be able to look internally and think, if I am not brokenhearted by the things that break your heart, what is it inside of me that is blind that I'm not willing to confront myself? Because it should make us cry and our hearts break because when we sin, we greatly hurt the heart of God. Look at one of your loved ones that you were here with today. If you came with a spouse, look at a loved one, a parent, somebody. Look across at who you love and cherish that you're here with today. If you're not here with somebody, think about that person that you value and cherish the most. Now think about if your loved one that you were with was walking down the road. And as they were walking down this sidewalk, there was somebody walking side by side with them. That was uh, for all intents and purposes of the analogy, I mean, they were just a, a piece of dirt. I mean, they were worthless. They were, they were uh, zero, um, oh shoot, uh, they, they did not give anything of worth to society. They were, just, they were just a stump with legs kind of walking around, taking up space. And as you're walking across this sidewalk, this bus comes and, and is about to, to hit this person of no value, but instead, your loved one grabs that person, throws them out of the way, takes their place, and is hit and is killed. Think about how much sadness would come from losing your loved one. Now think about weeks and months and years later, that person whose life was saved, if they begin to badmouth your loved one. If word got back to you that for whatever reason, they just began to badmouth uh, your loved one. They began to say uh, that they were prideful and, and that they, they did that to receive some kind of self-glory. And, and they just began to, to slander the name of your loved one. For us, we would be so ticked off because we'd say, like, where was the value that you had and yet your life was spared? The loved one that I have gave their life so that you could have a second chance, so that you could go on from that day and maybe your eyes would be open to the life patterns that you've been living in. Say, I don't want to keep indulging in these things. I don't want to keep not having anything to offer to the neighbors around me. And yet that person continues to walk in this stable misery and this worthlessness in a sense of their life and they slander the loved one that you just, excuse me, that you just dearly miss. And in a way, that is what we do when we continue to walk in the flesh. Jesus says, I did not die so that you could continue to walk in your crap. Like I gave my deepest loved one for you as a sacrifice. 
And we have the choice to either say, I do not want to continue to walk in this misery. I do not want to continue to walk in my flesh. But I have been spared by one who did not deserve to die. I should have been the one that was killed. I should have been the one that suffered. I should be the one that was brutally tortured. But the loved one of God was given and said, I want to do that for you. Now don't stay living in your flesh. But I am offering you hope into a life that you could not have gained on your own. And you were spared. So please do not slander the name of my son who gave himself for you. Do not badmouth and abandon the hope that was given for you. Do we recognize that when we sin, we greatly hurt the heart of God? He says, I died and defeated that temptation when I rose from the grave. You do not have to fall prey to it again. It has no strength over you as opposed to the strength that I had to overcome those temptations long ago before you were even thought of. I died so that you could have a strength that is not of your own to look at your desires and the temptations of your flesh and say, not today. Not today. If you will, let's open up to uh, Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at... Jesus being tested in the wilderness. There are three times, excuse me, three times that at least Scripture gives us uh, that Satan tempted him in in the desert. And there are three responses that Jesus gave to Satan in light of those temptations that I think can be life-changing for us if we would apply them to ourselves. So open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, a man shall not live on bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor, and it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered again, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up by, uh, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike a foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Starts out, he was led out into the desert. Says for 40 days, he had nothing to eat or drink. Guys, if I go 40 minutes sometimes without having anything to eat or drink, I am already at grave danger for Satan's temptations. Jesus was 40 days, no food, out by himself. He was in isolation. He was hungry. His flesh was aching to be satisfied. Satan's first temptation somewhat seems rational. When he was tempted... What we're going to recognize in all three of these is that when Jesus was tempted, 
the way that he combated temptation was he spoke biblical truths. So I want to pause right there for a second. Jesus' response to all these temptations was speaking biblical truth. Now granted, he was God, so he kind of had a part in writing this. But nonetheless, he knew this word, this book, these scriptures, the word that we read, that we believe, continues to speak loudly and clearly for generations to come, for thousands of years. This right here is what he used to combat temptation. We'll break it down a little bit more and exactly how he did so. So, and his first temptation, again, Jesus was hungry. It had been a couple weeks since he had eaten anything. And what he did was he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And what Satan uh, basically said could have made some sense to Jesus. I mean, you got to think, like, Jesus is hungry. Satan basically is sitting there and he's like, I mean, why starve yourself, man? Like, you know, if you're a guy, why don't you just turn that bread or uh, turn that rock into some bread and, and eat? Right? Like, it, it was almost simple. Like, we can read it and think, like, wow, he's trying to pull a quick one over on Jesus. And the reality is, like, he was hungry. He was like, why, why, why starve yourself to death? Like, just turn that rock into some bread and eat. And Jesus' response was basically that, that even the every word of God is more important than even the food that we eat. And David Guzik said that we effectively resist temptation in the same way Jesus did. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we answer Satan's seductive lies by shining the light of God's truth upon them. If we are ignorant of God's truth, we are poorly armed in the fight against temptation. The first temptation, he said, just eat something. Don't, don't kill yourself with hunger. Jesus is combats with, he said, even though I am starving, my heart and soul and life is more satisfied with the words of God than even fleshly satisfaction of eating. He's tempted again. The second defense was more scripture. This time Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Again, David Guzik uh, says that Jesus affirmed to himself and he reminded Satan that the command to worship the Lord your God and serve him only is far above any supposed advantages in bowing to Satan. Again, Jesus' answer to Satan was the same resource available to every believer. Please hear this. The same thing that Jesus did is the same resource available to every believer. And it is the word of God used by a spirit-filled believer. In resisting these temptations as a man, Jesus proved that Adam did not have to sin, that there was not something faulty in his makeup, that Jesus faced worse than Adam did, and yet Jesus never sinned. The second temptation was Satan saying, hey, man, like I've been given <clears throat> all this authority, that if you would just bow to me, I can give you whatever you want. For us, the temptation was, if you will just say yes to the flesh, if you will just say yes or, or really say no to the things of God, Satan says, I've been given all rule and demand, uh, or domain over this, this dark world. If you just say yes to me, I'll give you whatever you want. And the temptation for us can be saying no to God and saying yes to my flesh. I can, in a dash of a tombstone, be satisfied with all that I want because Satan says, I'll give it to you. You worship me, I'll give it to you. And Jesus, again, with Scripture, says any false hope or false satisfaction in following Satan is nothing in compared to the glory of serving my God. The last temptation, Satan tries to <clears throat> manipulate Scripture to get Jesus to do something he knows he shouldn't. 
He said, why don't you just throw yourself off from here? I mean, the scripture says that the angels will pick you up and that you won't even strike your heel uh, to the ground. Second way that Satan tried, or the third way Satan tried to tempt Jesus was he manipulated scripture to try to get him to do something that he knew was not right before the Lord. And this one struck me probably more than any of them. Because I thought, how often do we manipulate scripture to try to justify our desires, our self-righteousness, our wants, the things that we think are best? If we do not take this word as the spoken word of God, that it is, it is explicitly and clearly laid out, we can be uh, very, very easily uh, allow ourselves to manipulate this book, to form it into something it is not, to justify our flesh. Because this is exactly what Satan does. He takes a scripture out of context, flips it on his head, and says, yeah, yeah, but Jesus, doesn't, doesn't the scripture say this? And Jesus' response was he took scripture in context and spoke truth over a lie that Satan tried to use to manipulate. And, and I sat on this because I thought, how often can we manipulate scripture to justify ourselves? There could be somebody fully walking in the spirit, fully walking with the Lord, even greater than us. And we can take this scripture and, and we can manipulate the prophets and we can manipulate the writings of the apostles, maybe even the writings of Jesus himself and flip them around and spin and say, yeah, but is that really what it says? I take it as this. I interpret this scripture as this way. I, yeah, I hear what it's saying, but I don't know. I don't know if that's what he really meant. And we can take it, plug it, pull it, punch it, formulate our own article out of 15 different verses and say, here's what scripture says. And if we take God's word out of context, we can absolutely fall into that third temptation of Satan that says, just make this book what you want, man. Just, just take it for what you want. And Jesus says, this word, here's the truth that it said. And he combats it again and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This book, these writings... What is written here had intent, it has purpose, it was written for a reason. And woe to the man or the woman who takes this to manipulate it and satisfy our fleshes by, the, by, by what's written here. We have got to be careful that we hold this book and the words that it says in proper holding with the Holy Spirit and with God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do not misuse this word. If you want to know where to find truth, truth is here. It is not subjective. It is not up for interpretation. This book is truth. And when Jesus was tempted... Scripture talks about like, like when we're tempted, we know that we have a high priest who sympathized with us. He was brutally beaten and, and slapped around in his temptations. And so when we face him, we have a high priest. We have a God who says, I, I get it. I sympathize with you. You do not have to say yes to that. And he said no by knowing this book. The importance of knowing the word of God can be, again, this is, this is the sword. This is the thing that we fight with. So why would we hide our sword when temptation is looming? It's like if you want to fight, 
you whip out the word of God, it says that it can separate bone and marrow. Like, like the, the tightest knit things in our body, the word of God says, I am so sharp, I can pierce right through the unpierceable. And so often when we face temptation, we put our sword, we tuck it away, we lock it in the closet, and we think, ah, it's no freaking use for this one. And the weapon that we have to combat temptation, the weapon that Jesus himself used, we'll put it in the sheath and lock it up in the closet. To overcome temptation, we have got to make temptation not even an option in our mind. If wanting to have sex outside of marriage is the temptation, the truth is that we have got to make whatever our temptation is for you, that temptation cannot even be an option. We've got to be able to say, I am not going to indulge in whatever it would be because it is not, for who I am as a man or woman, it's not even an option for me anymore. Like, like, I want to know that I love Jesus so much that when this thing is pressing in on me, when I feel like it is strangling me, it's not even an option to me. Why? There's got to be a reason why we say no. If there is no reason why we say no to temptation, then, then go for it. If we don't have a reason why we're saying no, then what, then what are we saying no for? But if that reason is I'm not going to fall into that again because I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God, we give reason to saying no. We make it not an option, but we have to give a reason for why it is not an option. There is a, one of the guys that I've been discipling for the last couple of years. <clears throat> he, uh, 19-year-old guy, he, I mean, I'm so proud of, of this, this dude for his vulnerability, his openness. Like when this guy struggles, he struggles openly with me. Like we can work through and talk through his successes, but there's a lot of failures and downfalls that he struggles with as well. But we, he called me the other day, and I, I asked permission to share this story. And he's talking about he's starting to date this new girl. And we've talked through, all right, we've had some relationships that we did not, we did not honor the Lord in. Right, it's like once those ended, okay, how do we start walking in purity in this next one? How do we grow a little bit more in this next one? He called me and he was like, how did you and Miss Grace do it? Like, it is killing me not wanting to further things with her. Like, how did you say no to these things? And we talked and I was like, bro, it has got to be like in that relationship, like it, it can't even be an option. Like when I step into this relationship, like when I, when I start dating Grace, I know that crossing this line of temptation, like my desire and my flesh wanted it. But I step in, it's like, it's not even an option because I know the God that I serve and, and, and it's no, like there, there's no reason and there's no way I'm gonna step into this. Why? Because I want to honor you, Jesus. And I told him, I was like, bro, if we do not have a reason for why we say no, we will continue to say yes because there's, no, there, there's nothing on the other end to, to, to hold us accountable to. You tracking with me? Right? So it, there's got to be a reason for why we say no. If you will, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to bounce around a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. done a better job marking these. Here we go. 
There was years ago, and man, I am daily so thankful for the way that the Lord has given me freedom through some of the temptations that I battled for years. I struggled heavily with self-inflicted poor decisions uh, in my out of high school into college days. Like I battled sexual temptation and failed in it miserably all the time. And there were days and weeks where I thought, I mean, <laughs> this is never going to get any better. I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed and it felt like I was getting my tail whooped every day because I could not figure out, God, how am I battling this thing? And I was failing over and over and over again. And the Lord began to teach these things to me. Like, it can't be an option. Why? Because you are surrendered to me. And he used 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. This is my, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, verse 27. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And as I began to work through this, God used 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 9 to be what I battled with, to be the part of the sword that I fought with. And he says that I, I, everyone who competes in the games, we go into strict training. Like we have got to go in and daily prepare ourselves. As we're with Coach Reach and, and the, these football guys day in and day out, to be prepared for the battle in months, in two and a half months, two months from now, to go into battle, there is months of preparation that comes through training. Before we can go out and play, before we can go out and compete, there's training that has to be done. There is suffering, there is work, there is blood and sweat, and sometimes, man, there are some tears, all right? And so he says, like, we go into strict training. In our spirits, we know that we are going to fight temptation, that, that Satan is going to want to bombard us and tear us down. So in those moments, in those times where we are living free in the spirit, are we strictly training? What is our training in the spirit looking like? Scripture talks about, like, training of the body has some value. But we have got to train and exercise our spirits. So, so what is the strict training? What are, what are the practices and the disciplines that in our daily walk with Jesus that we are training ourselves with to be fit and ready to combat when temptation comes? And then he says in verse 27, he says that, man, like this just gets me jacked. That I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It's this idea, again, that like it's not even an option. Like I would rather be in physical pain. Like if, this is going to be probably too far, but like I would rather like, white knuckle hit this two by four over and over and over and I'm going to beat my body and almost submit it physically if that is the, the, the pain and suffering that I've got to put my physical body through to say no to temptation then it is worth it. 
Like I have got to make my body a slave to submit to the things of God. Like it is intense. And we, and we recognize before we started, like some of these temptations we face are serious. They are generationally passed down. Like you may have been born into just a life cycle that, that your father and your grandfather didn't combat and deal with. And now you've got to deal with for your children. So we recognize the strength of these, but, but the picture here is like, I am submitting, making my body submit to the things of God, and that is my reason for saying no. There has to be a reason. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm not going to read it, but 12 through 20 talks about sexual immorality specifically, talking about just the kind of sin that it is. And so I knew, like, that's my area of weakness. And so I would have 1 Corinthians 6 in this, scripture, or, uh, in this Bible, highlighted and underlined. I left it open on my nightstand, on my dresser in my bedroom, open all the time so that I saw it. In the arena that I was most easily tempted and most quickly falling into sin, I opened up the scripture that talks so specifically about it, and I left it open in the arena that I was most uh, heavily attacked by Satan. Because I know, and God began to teach me, like, this is the way that we combat it. This is the way that we fight it. And I know what those temptations are for me. And so I left that passage open, talking about fleeing from sexual immorality. It's the only sin that you commit that is directly against your body. And I began to read it. And I put it in a place, and I put it in the arena that I was most heavily attacked and most easily susceptible to the lies of Satan, so that when those temptations come, as I was moving about in that arena, I would see the scripture that says, you don't have to do this. This is a sin against your own body. Your body is a temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. If you're taking notes, five action steps to combat sin. I would recommend writing these down. The first one is to know scripture in its contextual and true form and use it to combat temptations. I'll say that one more time. The first action step to combating sin is to know scripture in its contextual form in true form, and to use it to combat temptation. We have the power to speak God's truths over Satan's lies and to obliterate them. The lies that entangle us, the lies of the flesh, the lies of Satan that want to drag you down, we have the tool that says, I do not have to do that. But we have got to know this word. We have got to know where to find the scriptures to fight with. Jesus knew the scriptures. When Satan tempted him, he said, no, 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 bro, you ain't throwing that out of context. Flipped it over, spoke truth, and was able to obliterate those lies. We've got to know this word. The second thing is we have got to make sin not even an option. We've got to say no, learn how to say no. But we know, or, or we've got to be able to recognize whatever that temptation is for you, you've got to recognize. And you've got to be honest with yourself enough to say, you know what, that is an area of temptation. That is an area that I'm susceptible to fall into. And then we make that temptation not even an option. And we give a reason behind it, which is because I am going to glorify God, even if it means like this, beating by my, my body and submitting and making it a slave to the things of God. Number three, have an accountability partner. Guys with guys, girls with girls only. There 
is health that comes from guys. You need to find other guys to help keep you accountable. Girls, you need to find other women. We do not need to be cross-contaminating emotional vulnerability with guys and girls. This is dangerous ground. One of my best friends I see, uh, he and I work out and train together almost every morning. And yesterday morning as we got done swimming, uh, we just sat out on the chairs by the pool and we got done working out. And as we do weekly, multiple times a week, we just begin just to pour out our hearts. Man, here's the areas I'm struggling with. Here's the areas where Satan's attacking me. Here's the continual things for years and years now that, that just keep me entangled. Here are the things that aren't necessarily a, a, a sin area, but man, here's just where I need prayer. I'm just, I'm seeking clarity in some areas. I don't know decisions to make in the future for my family and I, like whatever that would be, I know that I've got somebody that I get to see daily, weekly. I texted him a couple, uh, this was probably a week or two ago, like I was just struggling through some stuff. Just my, my spirit was just heavy and he's got three little kids, um, like 7.30's bedtime, so like I know his evenings are full, and at 7 o'clock or so, he's like, man, if you want to meet right now, we'll meet and talk. And I know that that guy, no matter what, that I know that I can go to him. I know that he's going to question me, that he has full freedom to, to ask me things, that there's nothing off limits with him. And he and I both know that there's full transparency, full honesty, nothing that we will not disclose to one another. And that is huge, guys, because, again, the back half of James, he talks about, like, like prayers of a righteous person. We confess our sins to one another. That prayers of a righteous person, when we, when we come together, there's healing and freedom in that. I had scripture laid open in my room when I was trying to, to, to just battle these things years ago with Jesus. And one of the other things that was huge in the breakthrough for me in the healing was that I was a part of a Bible study that, for the first time, I was extremely vulnerable with. We confessed sin all the time. And at that time, there was a lot to confess. And we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we worked through it, and we kept each other accountable. And accountability, guys, is key to overcoming temptation. We've got to have it. Number four, two more. We've got to be on guard. We have to know the time, the place, the mood, the atmosphere, etc., where we're most easily uh, entangled and most easily susceptible to God's temptation or uh, to Satan's temptation. We have to be on guard, but know the time and the place. Again, like I was able to recognize the times and the places that I was most easily susceptible to attack. And in those places, in those times, wherever that is, if that's in your car, if that is uh, somebody you work with, if that is uh, whatever that arena and atmosphere is, we've got to first be able to recognize, okay, God, when I'm tempted, when Satan begins to attack me, what are some of the common denominators that are involved uh, that are, uh, can be red flags and warning signs as I continue to travel down that road that I need to turn back around? And we've got to recognize that. Dad, you've heard Dad talk for years now, knowing your playgrounds, your play toys, and your playmates. Where are the arenas that I go into that I can be tempted? Who are the people that I hang out with that can be a source of uh, agreeance or of bad influence into those temptations? Who are the people that I need to stop hanging out with? And then what are the toys, what are the attractions that can, again, draw me back into saying yes and conceiving into sin? Know your atmosphere. And the last thing is that we must have a growing affection for Jesus. Matt Chandler said that 
if you and I have a growing affection for Jesus, what happens over time is that we form to the likeness of Jesus. And we begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. The silver bullet to your issues and addictions is affection for Jesus. Our affection for Jesus drives out all other desires. And because the church gets this backwards, we white-knuckle all the other stuff and we don't get to walk with the freedom that has been given to us through being filled with the Holy Spirit. We must have a growing affection for Jesus. If our desire, if our heart is just aching and just desiring the affection and love of Jesus, our desires will naturally shift from satisfying myself to worship and affection for a God who loves us. Two action steps in Colossians that he uses is that the first thing that we've got to do is starve the old nature. If you want to flip with me real quick and we're almost done. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Two things that the scripture says is the first thing we've got to do is we've got to starve the old nature. Colossians 3 starting in verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways of life, uh, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie to each other since you have been taken off your old self with its practices. What do we do? We have got to starve the old nature. We look at this list of like, what are the things we've got to starve? We've got to starve sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, greed, slander, filthy language from your lips, rage, and like starve those areas of your life. And he follows up in verse 10 and says, but feed the new nature. He says, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there's no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's like, we are all one in this thing. Verse 12, I've been memorizing. I would challenge you guys to memorize verses 12 uh, through 14. He says, but therefore it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. And bear with each other, forgiving each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. And above all these virtues, above all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. He said, starve the flesh. Recognize the areas, the atmospheres, have accountability in your life, no scripture, have an affection for Jesus. Through these things, we are starving our flesh. We are starving the old self. And then we are clothing ourselves. Verse 12, as chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we are clothing ourselves with compassion, with gentleness, with kindness, humility, patience. We are forgiving people as Jesus forgave us. Gosh, man, talking to somebody about that the other day, thinking like how many times does Jesus have to forgive me in a day? Who am I to say no to forgiveness once every couple weeks if somebody wrongs me? And above all these things, love 
binds all of them together. Can I look at Liz and Blake and say, man, I love you guys. Genuinely in my heart, I love you guys. Can we look at those people around us and say, I genuinely care for you and love you. And naturally, because that binds all things together, there's going to be compassion. There's going to be freedom that we walk in. There's going to be joy in our lives because we are feeding the new self that are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I want to paraphrase the last scripture uh, and then we'll close. Uh, Guys, Jacob and y'all, if y'all want to start heading this way, you can. I'm going to wrap it up with two more things. In Proverbs 5, um, I'm going to piece together just a couple of these verses. It's in context, but we're going to piece together uh, a few verses here. Verse 3, Proverbs 5, verse 3 says, For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, and her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Verse 8, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, and the cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. The proverb here is, why be enticed by a wayward woman? Why be enticed by the flesh when the words and the feeling of it is dripping honey? And it sounds so good, but he says you will be dragged away. You will lose your honor to something that ultimately has no satisfaction. The word that he uses in the beginning of James, he uses trial and temptation. The idea is that trial and temptation come from the same root word. And the idea is like God does not tempt you, but he does try us at times. And we can recognize that when we are tempted, it is from Satan. God does not tempt us, but he does try us. And what Satan will use to try to entangle us and tempt us is the same thing God may be allowing to test our genuineness to him. Being able to recognize that when I'm tempted, it's not from God, but he may use the same thing as a trial to test my heart and how much I love him and how devoted I am to him. I wrote this the other day, that what if we viewed temptation as an opportunity to honor God by the way we reject it? What if we saw temptation as Satan's feeble attempt to derail us, but God's divine opportunity to test and prove our hearts as authentic and genuine? And I plead with you guys, we do not have to fall captive to our lies and the temptations and the desires of our flesh. Jesus is welcoming us into freedom, welcoming us into healing and life apart from those temptations that can be had. And so I ask you guys, like, please, and the, the, the excitement is that he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under these trials. 
Blessed is the one who sees Satan's temptations and knows that God can use those to try us and test our heart. And when we say no, when we find freedom with Jesus, the promise is, blessed are you. Good job. Your heart is pure. Your ways are right. You are combating this with me. Blessed are you who says no. 